Town Bank Mortgage, NMLS number 512138, is an equal housing lender. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And now, the man born with a 5 o'clock shadow and with the NMLS number 2028201. He is a gentleman. He is a scholar. He is... Tyler Crawley. Welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am the aforementioned host, Tyler Crawley, and I want to apologize for there not being a show on Thursday. One of my New Year's resolutions was to do a show every single day of the week, and I couldn't do it yesterday. Um, The internet went down in my um what did mark levin when he always broadcast it was the uh, um what was it broadcasting from the underground bunker uh in the uh, something 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 nondescript building <laughs> something like that the oh yeah the bowels of a hidden bunker in uh, under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once made once again made contact with our leader mark levin uh, yeah so uh my apartment uh entire building we lost internet and you could say well tyler couldn't you just like record the show uh it yeah i mean the problem was is that i usually use my laptop in order to get the stories and i would have had to have been doing it on my phone because that was the only thing that hit internet and it, it, it just it would have sucked it would not been good so I wasn't going to put out a crappy product, uh, or I should say crappier. My normal product's pretty crappy. So I wasn't going to put out a crappier product than I normally do. So here we are. we got a lot to get to. we got to talk about the Fed hike. we got to talk about construction spending, home equity. And it is jobs week. The big jobs report comes out today. And what is that? What's that going to do to markets? So let's start with, of course, Let's start with the last report that we got. That was home equity. And it was funny because for those who follow my podcast or follow me on Instagram or wherever, usually Instagram, TikTok, reluctantly, unfortunately, Facebook, I post uh, little videos, like little minute video of kind of the big story of the day. You know, we talk about it at length here on the podcast, but in these videos, I try and just hit kind of the, you know, the top line number. And I was talking with someone, I was debating about the housing slowdown. And I was saying, hey, it looks like we're coming out of the bottom. And uh, a friend of mine commented on the video and said that uh, it looked like, you know, here was 2008 all over again. And I was like, listen, we're, it's not even close. Not only are people sitting on a ton of equity, you know, sitting on low mortgage rates and there's just, this 2008 is not gonna happen again. And he said, yeah, maybe some people are sitting on 50% equity, but that's a small percentage. And I was like, well, according to CoreLogic, it's like, the average loan, I think, had a loan to value of like 46%, meaning people are sitting on more than 50% equity. And just so happens <laughs> the day after, it might have been two days, you know, it was a day after, the day after me having those that discussion in the comment section, the CoreLogic quarterly home, equ- home equity report came out. <laughs> it's almost like I, I, I did it on purpose. I, I completely did not do it on purpose. So we got the latest home equity report. It's actually the CoreLogic home equity and underwater report. And the bad news is we saw a little bit of a dip for the first time since 2020. We saw home equity fall but the good news is that it wasn't a lot. Like 
almost almost st- statistically kind of insignificant. So mortgaged residential properties in the United States considered equity rich, which is basically 50% equity, fell half a percentage point to 48% in the fourth quarter of 2022. So the last report that we got for the third quarter of 2022 had equity rich properties at 48.5%. That number has now fallen to 48. It's not a huge drop. And really when you put it into context, it really just highlights how insane, you know, home prices jumped and how much money people are sitting on in their homes. Properties in the United States considered equity rich were up 7.1 percentage points in a year. So compared to the fourth quarter of 2021. So massive jump. And as I said, this was sort of a streak coming to an end. We'd for basically the last three years, 10 straight quarters, we saw equity rich the percentage of equity rich homes increase every single quarter. So this was the first time and it you know it makes sense. I mean, we've seen home prices stagnate if not fall in some communities. But here's the real takeaway that I think is even more important. So yeah, I mean sure having 50% equity is a pretty big deal and the fact that almost 50% of homeowners are in an equity rich position, meaning they they have uh, over 50% equity in the home. For some reason, I'm having a difficult time saying equity. So I'm just going to get that. It's just going to keep going the more I talk about it. I'm I'm clearly not going to fix it. But here's what's really amazing. 94.1% of homeowners paying off mortgages had at least some equity built up in their properties in the fourth quarter. This is down a little bit, like barely, from 94.3% in Q3, but is up from the 93.5% in the fourth quarter of 2022. So not only are 50% of homeowners in an equity-rich position, 94% have at least some equity. And that, I think, is important because, I mean, let's say you had 50% of people who had 50% more or equity in their home, and then everyone else had no equity, That could be a housing crisis. (laughs) You could see all the people who don't have any equity walking away from their homes if something were to happen. Of course, you know, what really caused everyone to walk away from their homes was adjustable rates. Everyone, I mean, for the most part, everyone's in fixed, unless people that recently got a mortgage and did an arm because mortgage rates were at 7% and they knew that in a couple of years they'd be able to refi. Um, So they're in adjustable rates, but nobody for the last three years or longer than that with historically low rates is in an adjustable rate mortgage. And everyone was so terrified of adjustable rates after the crisis. They're just, they, they're like I said, until recently, I remember it was funny when I was taking my NMLS class to, um, you know, get my license. (laughs) I remember being like, why are they even teaching arms? No one gets them. Like, why are they even teaching these anymore? And then, of course, you know, rates skyrocketed and we saw 7% uh, mortgage rates. And all of a sudden people are like, hey, let's do an R. <laughs> and I was like, all right, it makes sense that I learned how to do this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the fact that 94%, over 94% of homeowners have some equity means they're not walking away from their home, which is going to make the likelihood of there being a 
2008 event again where everyone's walking away from their homes, flooding the market with inventory, collapsing home prices. It just, it's it's not going to happen. Uh, so where are the most equity-rich homeowners? Um, probably not surprising. I mean... I don't know. I mean, we've talked about it before. So if you've heard us talk about it, these, these places haven't changed. Uh, they're all in the Northeast, pretty much all of them. Um, so the top spot is Chittenden County in Vermont, which is where Burlington is, where Bernie Sanders is from, right? That's kind of funny. He's pretty equity rich, right? He's got a bunch of homes. I'm sure, he's sitting on uh, a nice fat equity position. 86.5% of mortgage properties in that county are equity rich. That's. No crisis there. Um, Dukes County, that's Martha's Vineyard, where, isn't that where Elizabeth Warren's from? That's kind of, I always think that's kind of funny. That like the top two equity rich counties are Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Like, like the working class um, warriors live in the most you know, equity rich communities. Like one and two. Uh, 84.1% for Dukes County. Then we got uh, San Miguel County, or Miguel, excuse me. Uh, 80.4%. That's in Colorado. That's the only one that's outside of the Northeast. Then we got Nantucket County, 79.8%. And then Washington County in Vermont, 77.1%. So four of the top five equity-rich areas, the most equity-rich areas, are in the Northeast. Now, the counties with the smallest share of equity-rich homes are all in the South. We got Geary County in Kansas taking the top spot with only 7% of mortgage properties in that county being equity rich. Boone County, Missouri, 8.1%. And then Greenup County, Kentucky, 10.7%. That is it. But what's odd is the states that are most improved. So they've people have seen, you know, the amount of equity rich homeowners increase by the most are almost all in the South. (laughs) I guess they have the most room to grow. I mean, at some point in the Northeast and the West, you reach kind of this tipping point. That's why you're seeing that's where the home prices are are, are falling the most right now. Uh, Southern states were three of the top five states for improved levels of equity-rich properties. The largest increase, though, was in Montana, up 6.5 percentage points, quarter over quarter to 58%. Delaware took the third spot. I guess it's a good time to be in, you know, the president of the United States is from there uh, with 1.8 percentage point increase. Now, now these lobbyists are moving up there. <laughs> it's like when Trump had his hotel in D.C. and everyone was going to that hotel and to get, you know, to be able to you know, talk to him and be able to, all the lobbyists are moving to Delaware, uh, helping to increase property values. They were number three and then the South uh, made up the rest. Kansas was number two, up three percentage points. Mississippi, uh, four and Arkansas uh, up five, or took the number five spot. And then, as I said, not surprisingly, the states with the biggest drop in equity-rich properties were housing markets that were on fire during the housing boom. Idaho saw the biggest drop with a 4.2 percentage point drop, followed by Arizona and Nevada, um, both falling 3.5 percentage points. Points, but here. So here's my takeaway. A lot. I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you. Here is the bottom line, basically. Um, home prices are stagnating, which is why you know people who are buying now are not all of a sudden, you know, a year later, 
having like 10% equity in a home. We're not seeing 10% appreciation anymore. So that's just, that's, that's not happening. And so you're seeing a drop in equity. That's just the reality stagnation with, of course, um, in some places, home prices are falling. It's going to happen. But we have almost 50% of homeowners who are sitting on 50% or more of equity and 94% of homeowners having some equity. I mean, we're as far from a housing crash as you can get. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. We are as far from that as you can get. And just to remind you, I think during the crash, like or like a little bit after the crash, it was like 20%, if that, of homes were equity rich. <laughs> and so it's just, I mean, the housing market just could not be any different than where we were in 2008. Now, that doesn't mean that home prices aren't going to fall. I mean, I think they're still going to fall. I don't know how much they're going to be, maybe another 10, maybe 15%. I mean, San Francisco, I was looking at Lance Lambert from Fortune. He was saying that the data already shows that San Francisco is already down 10%. But nationally, you know, finished down 10, 15%. I mean, I think here in Wilmington, North Carolina, we're going to be we're going to be pretty good. I don't think we're going to see too big of a movement. But I mean, yeah, it's it's really someone was I think it was Lance Lambert who's pointing out we're, we're like in a bifurcated housing market where you got San Francisco's down 10 percent and like Chicago was like up 0.1 percent from the, the the housing peak. And just I mean, that's crazy <laughs> to see that big of a difference. So we didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday because we didn't do a show. Um, I was trying to think of a good transition there, so I had to pause. I was like, ah, there's no real good transition. Let's talk about what the Fed said um, on, what was it, Wednesday? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's on Wednesday. I don't even know what day it is. That's how you know we're getting close to Friday. My brain stops working more than normal. So it wasn't surprising. The Federal Open Market Committee made the decision that they were going to raise rates, raise the federal funds rate 25 basis points. We all knew that was going to happen. Not that surprising. We're now looking at the high range of the rate at four and three quarters. A lot of people thinking that the Fed's not going to stop till we get above five. But the 25 basis point was well telegraphed. We knew what was going to happen. So the big question, what is the Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell going to say at the press conference? Because we get, of course, the press release, the prepared remarks but what was he going to say? Was he going to say anything that was going to throw anyone off? And not really. I mean, it it was kind of what we were expecting. Um, he was asked about inflation. He says, I do think in this situation where we do have still the highest inflation in 40 years, the job is not fully done. It would be very premature to declare victory or think that we've really got this. A lot of people celebrating, hey, look at the CPI, look at PCE. PPI, we're seeing all these reports showing inflation is slowing tremendously. Have you guys, you know, are you guys going to celebrate this? Have we reached the point where we can now stop the rate hikes? And Powell's like, no, (laughs) we are not at that point. He is not doing the uh, George W. Bush mission accomplished banner. (laughs) He's not going that route. Uh, So with regards to rate hikes, Powell said that the committee, this is what they said, this is what the committee said in the press release, they are strongly committed to retaining, or excuse me, returning inflation to its 2% objective. The committee anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate 
in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. So they're like, hey, we are moving forward with rate hikes. And then, obviously, the big question after that is, are we going to accomplish what, let's, you know, let's face it, six months ago, everyone thought this was impossible. Soft landing. It's never happened. It's never happened in the history of economic policy in the United States. Has anyone been able to successfully pull off a soft landing? It always leads to a crash, whether it's stock market, whether it's how, whatever it is. When the Fed starts raising rates to deal with whatever the issue is, usually inflation, obviously, or employment, whatever it is, you get a crash. Are we going to be able to have a soft landing? And a lot of people are looking at you know the jobs data and they're going, is he going to pull this off? Is he going to pull off the soft landing? Well, Powell is still optimistic that a soft landing is possible in this unique situation. You know, it's very fast. I remember one time reading a quote and there's a about Ronald Reagan. One of Ronald Reagan's famous quotes is that government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. Conservatives quote this all day long. I've quoted it many times. And I remember someone pointing out that the probably most famous omitted words in the English language were in this present crisis. Because that's what Reagan said. Reagan said, in this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. He wasn't always saying government's the problem. He was saying in this present crisis. You know, it's kind of like when people read like the Second Amendment or something and they're like, oh, that doesn't really mean what you think. They worded it that way for a reason. And Reagan worded it that way for a reason. Not saying that, you know, Reagan was a closeted government lover. (laughs) But he was saying that in this present crisis, and which means that maybe another crisis government could be the solution to the problem. And so what Powell is saying, I took from this, is that because we're in this unique situation, what they are doing could lead to a soft landing. But maybe the next time, what they're doing would not have led to a soft landing. And so I think, I always think it's important when leaders make it clear that, hey, what we're doing right now, if it works, that's for this situation. And don't think this is always going to be the answer to your problems. So Powell said, I continue to think there's a path to getting inflation back down to 2% without a really significant economic decline or a significant increase in unemployment. This is not like the other business cycles in so many ways. I mean, it is very bizarre. We're going to talk about jobs here in a second, but it is a very bizarre situation. And then real quick, uh, Powell did talk about housing. And since we are a housing centered podcast he said or pal noted that the the housing market activity quote continues to weaken largely reflecting higher mortgage rates he later commented that the housing service inflation is likely to continue increasing but hopefully will begin to fall after a few months so he points out hey listen higher mortgage rates depressing the housing sector we understand. <laughs> we know. I'm sure a lot of people are bringing this to his attention. So, Powell, you know, it's really funny because we had this big rally on Thursday. 
in the markets with regards to bonds and you know we, you know we saw rates fall we in fact the official number from Freddie Mac um, had for the week the 30 year fixed at 6.09%. Great number. Mortgage News Daily, which a lot of people watch because they follow the mortgage backs, they had rates close at end the day at 5.99%. And that was like alarm bells going out. And all of a sudden, people are, oh, I heard mortgage rates are at 5% again. <laughs> now, of course, that's 5.99%. So it's basically 6%. But the fact that we saw a five handle, I mean, a lot of people went off the handle <laughs> when they heard about that. And I said, oh, no, I saw like CNBC pick it up. A lot of other news outlets were like mortgage rates are in the 5% for the first time in a while. And I went, oh, no, they're not really in 5%, <laughs> like like a momentary blip. You know, we'll see what happens today and what, what continues to happen. We could see a pullback. But uh, yeah, it, it was a little I was like, oh, no. <laughs> When I saw those headlines about uh, mortgage rates being um, in the fives again, uh, but we did, but we saw a positive reaction. To what Powell said, that's, that's how I got on that topic. I couldn't remember there for a second. That's how we got on that topic. And I remember thinking is like, wh- why, why is the market reacting this way? I, cause it seems like he didn't say anything. He's like, yeah, full steam ahead. We're going to keep raising rates. We're not celebrating inflation slowing. It's we're going. And everyone was like, oh, the rate hikes might not happen. <laughs> it's like, I don't I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Um, real quick, I'm just gonna do the headline number on this. Construction spending in December to close out the year actually fell more than expected, 0.4% to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.8 trillion. This is almost a full point worse than November's 0.5% increase and was the biggest drop since August. And they thought it was only going to fall like 0.1%. So constructing spending fell worse. It ended the year down 7.7%. And the real takeaway was single family construction fell for the seventh straight month, a 2.3% drop. Now down for the year, 14.7%. Multifamily jumped up 3.2% and is now up for the year, 20.7%. It's pretty easy to see what happened. COVID, people in the beginning of COVID freaking out about living sort of in you know this multi-family units. People living in communal environments didn't want to do that anymore. So demand for multifamily really fell. <laughs> I mean, it really fell. Then you saw sort of an artificial uptick in single family. And I think this year was sort of a rebalancing of that. So 2021 multifamily falls off a cliff, single family skyrockets. 2022 was the rebalancing of those numbers. That's that's how I am interpreting it. So real quick, I don't want to go too long here on the pod. I don't want to make it too long winded. Jobs, it's jobs week, a lot of jobs data we've already gotten um, on you know, Wednesday, which is a crazy day. It was so unfortunate I couldn't do a podcast because there was like five reports that came out. We got ADP, of course, uh, private payrolls. Those were underwhelming, supposed to be about 170, 180, somewhere around there were actually 109. So they were you know, almost 50% less than what they were expecting. And everyone said, oh my gosh, that came out at 815. Oh my gosh, is this the cooling of the labor market? Oh, here we go. This is it. Maybe that's what everyone got so excited about you know, before Powell spoke. But then at 10 a.m., we got job openings. You know, job openings. 
How many are out there? That's a good indicator of what's happening with the economy. Not a lot of job openings mean jobs are filled and we are closer to kind of full employment. It jumped up. It jumped up again, unexpectedly. It jumped up to 11 million, 11 million job openings. It was supposed to fall to like 10.2, jumped up to 11 million. What? There's 11 million job openings, but there's only, but we didn't have a good jobs report. Now that would lead me to believe that we actually have an extremely tight labor market because we're not hiring a lot of people, but we have all these job openings. So it's not like there's, there's, there's a lack of jobs out there. So it just means that there's no one to fill those jobs. We have a lack of labor, AKA a tight labor market. And then yesterday we get the jobless claims. Everyone thought, okay, they're going to jump back up to you know, 200,000 after last week. They kind of fell and surprised everyone. No, they stayed 183, like historic lows. We're still, we're, we're close to, I think the lowest was earlier last year. 164,000 jobless claims. We hadn't seen a number like that since like 1962 or something like that. We're now moving in that direction. So we're seeing few, because if you had a lot of jobless claims and very few jobs created, okay, well, people lost their jobs. We didn't create a lot of them. Okay, fine. But now we're seeing few jobless claims, a lot of job openings and few hires. I mean, to me, what it, I'm interpreting it is that we still have a tight labor market. People aren't filing for unemployment. We have a ton of jobs available. Companies are not pulling job listings. They're, they're still looking for people. Today's going to be a big day with a non-farm payroll. Uh, I, I did see someone say that Goldman Sachs, I think, increased their estimation. It's supposed to be around, I want to say 180, 190, somewhere around there, very similar to ADP. I think, actually, you know what? I think it's 173. I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a look at that real quick here. I think it's 173. But what's amazing is that <laughs> Goldman Sachs, um, 185. 185 is what they're looking at. Goldman Sachs, I think, said 300. So they think we could get a big report. And so <laughs> it's like, good luck figuring out this job market. Uh, but we will see. We'll talk about that on Monday's podcast. And I think... I think that's it. I think we're good to go. We we got to as much as we possibly could. Oh man, I can't believe I couldn't do a podcast after like the. I mean, literally, there was like five or six reports, economic reports that came out on Wednesday, and I couldn't couldn't do the podcast for Thursday. It's all right. We got to everything now. All right, you guys enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you back here Monday morning talking about the non-farm payroll. What does that mean? We'll talk about that on Monday. So enjoy the weekend. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.